Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. Earlier this season, we invited BHDP's four market leaders onto the podcast to discuss their predictions for 2021 in the episode Looking Back and Looking Beyond. This episode, 2021 in the rear view, the workplace market, is part of a four-part series where we explore the predictions made for the year. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? And what do we foresee for 2022? I'm your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and our guest today is Drew Susco, BHDP's Workplace Market Leader, to discuss the trends and tensions of the workplace. In 2020, we saw remote work introduced as part of the work ecosystem. But for 2021, you predicted that there would be a demand for more dynamic space and the ways of doing heads down work in the office are over. How do you feel about that now? Not great. No? <laughs> Why not? With a, with a huge asterisk on it. So I think when we were recording at the end of 2020, right, we were maybe 10 months into the pandemic at that point in time, right. and there was some optimism on the horizon for 2021. It was as if this everything was going to be solved with a flip of a calendar page. <laughs> right. Um, the reality is now uh, I'm losing track of the number of months we are into the pandemic. And more to the point, right, the, the pandemic is just becoming a condition of our lives to some degree. So at the end of 2020, right, we were looking at 2020 and saying, well, what predictions might we make about what we've learned from this period of time? One of the predictions I, I think I made was that, you know, hybrid would become the word of the year. I think yeah, that, that was in, my next one in yeah. workplace circles. I think that's certainly been true to the point where I have had many conversations with friends and clients and colleagues lately where people are just saying, hey, well, can we stop saying hybrid? <laughs> because yeah. that's not just the way we've been working now for almost two years, but many of us were working in this fashion prior to the pandemic. So I think we were looking to the horizon at the end of 2020 towards 2021 with some, some optimism. I'm optimistic about 2022. I prefer <laughs> Take an optimistic position, generally speaking. But for many organizations, 2021 was very much a continuation of 2020. For many organizations, especially organizations of a certain scale, folks didn't come back to the office 2021. And some still haven't. Some still haven't, yeah. yeah. There are many people, right, essential workers, boots on the ground, who obviously have been working throughout the pandemic. So yeah. in workplace, we tend to talk about knowledge workers, people who produce ideas in <laughs> office environments or increasingly outside of office environments. Sure, sure. Knowledge workers, but you also have people who understand program language, so coders and things, that their job can be done remotely. And it's interesting that hybrid emerged from that because you and I both worked remotely previous to the pandemic. We did, yeah. Yeah, and that's just what they called it. But I think that there was this push to kind of destigmatize the two different modes and say, oh, work is work, but let's call it hybrid. But then everybody got, it was like semantic satiation. They were, they got overdone by the word. I mean, yeah, to your point about semantic satiation, right? I'm now reading articles about <laughs> redefining what hybrid means. And at the point in which you're redefining a term, yes. you're probably overusing the term. So <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I, I think for many large organizations, yes, there was a certain portion of the workforce that was virtual or remote prior to the pandemic. But for many large organizations, right, the majority of work was still done on site. And I think hybrid was a way of describing that that condition would be true, again, with an asterisk, uh, acknowledging that some work would happen at home or right. some work would happen uh, remotely moving forward. As I was preparing for this conversation, Brian, I was thinking a little bit about how change happens ultimately in workplace. And I mean, there's been a ton of excitement about what the future might hold, but the mechanisms for change in workplace 
tend to be tied to lease expirations. Hey, a lease is expiring and we are going to take on more space or less space or modify our space because uh, you know our landlord is going to provide some tenant improvement dollars as a component of that, that deal. Right. It's rare that organizations are setting aside dollars primarily to make massive changes to the physical space. So I was talking to a gentleman uh, about halfway through the year and I asked the question, well, when do we think we're going to you know, see all this net out in corporate real estate? Because you've seen some just pretty wild speculations about the net impact. And he said, and this gentleman works at MIT, uh, he said, this thing's going to have a long tail. He said yeah. three to five years. And the reason for that being that ultimately those lease expirations are going to be the trigger by which many organizations make decisions. So... You did say there will be innovation from the tech sector. This was one of your predictions. Mm -hmm. And you posted an interesting question. What workarounds might become permanent? Mm -hmm. Because there were a lot of workarounds during the pandemic when everybody was home Mm -hmm. just to keep that connection going. Have you seen any of those? What do you feel like you got right? Was there anything that didn't pan out the way you thought it might? Yeah, I think um, as, again, the global population shifted to remote work, right? What we very quickly saw was folks making better use of video conferencing software. I mean, a lot of that software existed prior to the pandemic, right? But it was a little clunky. Yeah. And there was a rapid investment by Microsoft, by Zoom, et cetera, to, to make that software more palatable to getting stuff done, right? We also saw personally, right, virtual collaboration tools like Miro, et cetera. And we talked about this at the end of 2020, right? Those became yes. the lifeblood for our organization and for many organizations, right? Virtual ways for collaboration became the way that, that work was getting done. Um, so the tech sector kind of ran to the problem very quickly, modifying tools that had previously existed. But the number of meetings has, has really ballooned as a result of folks being remote, right? So we've started to carve up our calendars in these Yeah, you know, I used to hour. have time to do my job. Yeah, now right? I just talk about it. All <laughs> you talk about what you're going to do as opposed to getting stuff done, right? Exactly. So I know we're going to talk a little bit about the great resignation. I, I do think one of the mitigating factors there is just simply exhaustion. Generally speaking, especially American workers are just being overtaxed with the, the expectations on them to meet constantly. And that doesn't work for everyone, honestly. The more time you're meeting, yes, work can get done collaboratively, but oftentimes in meetings, right, it's, well, (laughs) what are our next steps (laughs) and who's going to do what? And And that meeting could have been an email. (laughs) If you have more of those meetings, right, there's less time to get stuff done. So the net effect of that, I think, is that people are, are finding that their days are being consumed with conversations and not necessarily you know, making progress on the commitments they've made during those conversations, which is a challenge for, for many people. And again, back to the, the idea of the great resignation, I think what we're going to see is we need some guardrails as a society around when work starts and stops. Because, you know, if people are available anytime, anywhere, at all times, there's a risk there. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of organizations are experiencing the effects of not establishing clear protocols for how to work effectively with others. The concept that people were working longer hours from home because they could. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the commute, and Mm -hmm. so they just filled that time. But now I'm seeing that they're coming into the office, but then going home and still working. So Mm -hmm. like, there's this expectation to just keep going because home has become the second workplace. (laughs) Yeah, it really has. And and people aren't shutting off. No, they're they're really not. Anecdotally, I've seen that here is what I mean, but I know that's happening elsewhere too. Yeah, and and if you remember early in the pandemic, people were trading their commute time for more work time. Right. Um, So there were a lot of statistics about productivity and and what was interesting was for many organizations, they were saying, yes, we are as productive as we were prior to the pandemic, right? What was potentially not accounted for was that the trading of that commute time for work time, <laughs> right. right? So, yes, we're as productive, but, you know, it's taking us 10 hours to do what we used to do in eight, for example. Interesting. I think we did 
state that the workplace was not going to be a place that people come to to perform independent work. You know, if you had a full day of heads down time, mm -hmm. it really doesn't make a lot of sense if your home environment is conducive to getting that job done and that's to a key come factor, yeah. to the workplace. And I think that's true. And, it, you know, prior to the pandemic, the great tension, I think we said, said on the previous podcast, right, was the, the tension between concentrated work and collaborative work. And that's still the case. Now, what's interesting is I think I predicted that people weren't going to come to the office to sit on conference calls all day long. And anecdotally, <laughs> I've seen that, right? Oh, I mean, yes. The, the, you know, people are still coming in and sitting on conference calls because that's that's what work has amounted to of late uh, as we kind of shifted to these virtual environments. And so I don't know if I was wrong there, but I, I don't necessarily think that many workplace environments are well-structured for those sorts of activities, right? I mean, if you're yeah. just sitting looking at your computer all day long, talking to people through your headset, yes, there are call center environments and things of that nature where people have been doing this for, you know, <laughs> decades prior to now. So certainly there are ways to provide space to support those sorts of activities. But I think that's a big shift for people. Yeah. One of the things that I'd noticed, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, companies that were a little more international as far as their geographic location, you know, they had multiple sites across the country or multiple sites across the world, they would have specific video conferencing rooms because they knew they had to meet with the other offices. But those were like coveted spaces. Mm -hmm. Now there's this, well, we should just make every room with a door have this capability. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think many organizations were investing early you know, 2020 into 2021 in the right infrastructure and technology to support virtual collaboration in the physical environment. We saw a lot of our clients you know, do tech upgrades almost immediately. Yeah. If you look back, like, let's go back to 2018, uh, the video conferencing tools, right, were then relatively primitive, right? It was a camera in a room, sometimes a big cart that would be rolled in, et cetera. I, I think what we're seeing now is, especially for closed collaboration spaces, potentially more cameras in the room to try to, you know, mimic the physical experience digitally. I mean, we're seeing a lot of cool ideas around, you know, how to bring in remote workers into the physical space so that they feel valued and on a level playing field and all sorts of, sorts of great things, which we're, we're taking the right steps forward as a people who are really focused on, you know, what's next for workplace. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of technology is taking advantage of the augmented and virtual reality platforms yeah. to say, hey, what, what new better experience could we create? You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen some some interesting things come out of the tech sector, right? Facebook and Microsoft have kind of tipped their hand a little bit from Facebook now meta, right? We saw kind of this virtual work environment with avatars, et cetera. And then I know Microsoft has been focused obviously on tools for work for a long time. They certainly have some interesting tools that they're introducing to support virtual work or augmented reality, et cetera. So I think, again, it's going to be funky. It's going to be interesting. There are going to be some missteps, certainly, but, you know, in the long run, I think we're going to see a collapsing between the virtual and the and the physical. Yeah, I'm still waiting for tech to catch up to have the Jedi Council meeting, you know, with the holograms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I want. So how have organizations fared in matching their virtual experience to their in-office experience, creating that, that sense of organizational culture mm -hmm. or even mentorship or whatever those dynamics are that need to be created? Yeah, I think the central tension moving forward in workplace, if, if before it was concentration versus collaboration, now it's virtual versus physical experience. And to your point, if you're a member of an organization, you want to feel connected to that organization. There are things that are lacking in the virtual environment. Um, there's a lot of good research now around ties and bonds and organizations. Anecdotally, our teams, those teams that were very strongly connected prior to the pandemic, seamlessly you know, moved forward through the pandemic without any hiccups because they knew how to get things accomplished together. But organizations are a, a function of both 
strong ties and weak ties. And there's really good research by uh, companies like Humanize into you know these sorts of ideas. You know, strong ties are those folks that you interact with on a regular basis, and and weak ties are those folks that you don't. You might bump into them once a week, once a month, maybe have a you know five minute casual conversation. Weak ties are really important for large organizations because those infrequent interactions stimulate your thinking. And those things are very difficult to replicate in the virtual environment because you have to be intentional about cultivating your weak ties. I think there are some technology workarounds certainly that can help us, you know, recommendations for, hey, you haven't connected with so-and-so in a long time, but doing so requires people to put in effort. <laughs> right. Um, just because you get a recommendation doesn't mean you take action versus you might bump into someone in the hallway who you haven't seen in, in three weeks and have a conversation. And so back to your question, which was how are organizations taking strides to provide for both digital and physical experiences? I think we're still going to see it play out. The case for space still is space is a tool to connect people. I think a lot of what we are seeing in terms of investments now in the physical environment is more spaces for collaboration, more spaces for socialization, fewer spaces for independent work. I think that's going to play out in the long run. So, you know, if we were to look forward three to five years as these leases expire, what I would imagine we would see is if the balance of space before the pandemic was, say, 70% independent work, desks, 30% collaborative work, just, you know, using some round numbers, it might look more like... 70, 30 in the other direction eventually, which would be a dramatic shift. Interesting. I want to know how you're interacting with clients now. Have you had to change the questions that you asked? How have client strategies evolved? Like, or what are they asking? What are you asking? What's yeah, no, it's a fantastic question. I, I think the fundamentals are still the same, honestly. But I think many organizations are now starting to ask themselves the question, you know, if work can happen anywhere, everywhere, why should it happen here? And that's a real challenging question for many organizations. You know, what will bring people back? Yes. What will entice people to stay? Yes. What role does the workplace play in helping us accomplish, again, our, our goals and objectives? What do people, individuals, teams, and organizations ultimately need to perform their best work? And what are the old assumptions that we really need to throw out because they're no longer true? Because you know, the way of working has moved on and we need to move on with it. Interesting. Who are the major influencers in the workplace market now? I think prior to the pandemic, most professionals that were focused on workplace really had their eye on the technology sector. What's curious actually is, you know, through the pandemic, many of the organizations in the tech sector have actually invested in space. They've acquired more space. Yes, they're growing, so that's part of it. But the tech sector is betting on some sort of return to a physical environment to get things done, which is pretty fascinating. Whereas more traditional financial sector, insurance, CPG companies, things of that nature, they're looking to potentially optimize space, reduce real estate, you know, embrace some modicum of remote work as a, as a component of their workplace strategy moving forward. The most interesting data point I've seen recently Another organization that does workplace research produced this study recently. If you look at high-performing organizations, people want to come back both to collaborate 
and to perform independent work, which I think is indicative of high-performing organizations have highly engaged people that just value being together versus, yes, I want to come back, yes, I want to connect to the company, but ultimately need to get my work done elsewhere. And so there's not as essentially that, that strong tie to the organization. And so you know, high-performing organizations, I think, will fare better through the pandemic and beyond. They're making investments in the physical workplace, certainly, because they recognize that, that people ultimately want to share space together to accomplish their, their goals and objectives. As far as influencers go, back to your question, people are still looking to the tech sector. You know, the tech sector is, is, again, making investments. And so you can see progress, right? But we are also seeing pretty dramatic investments in technology to, you know, quote unquote, disrupt workplace. Moving forward, I think we're going to see continued investment in technology tools to support and supplement the connections that you and I and everyone need to make things happen. And so I think we're going to see more recommendations for reaching out to folks, more analytics around our network and the the ties within our network, more analytics about our personal productivity, more analytics about our personal well-being. I think that's really the, the future of workplace strategy and design. And I think it has a physical component still because the workplace, again, is a fantastic place to build connections and to you know, transform organizational culture. Well, we'll have to write those down and make that the first question next year. <laughs> this time, right? Yeah, what did we get wrong <laughs> exactly. in 20, 2022? Yeah, right. certainly, Brian. Well, Drew, thank you for your thoughts today. Always <laughs> appreciate the time with you, Brian, and have a great day. You too. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, 2021 in the Rearview, the workplace market with Drew Susco, workplace market leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.